Living the Dream acknowledges the traditional owners of the land it is recorded on, especially the Jagera and Turrbal peoples, elders past, present and future, and their continuing struggles for justice and self-determination. Hi there, you are listening to Living the Dream, the podcast of the Hoo-Ha Group. You are joined by me, Dave and... John. And John, you're on Twitter, aren't you? I am, I'm on Twitter at, at John Pacini. And I am at with Sober Senses. John, what are we talking about today? What are we talking about today? I think it was... Well, we're not talking about Pokemon Go. Let's oh, just put man. it there. We're not talking okay. about Pokemon Go. We'll, I think, we'll, we'll I actually think we can have a conversation about it. I'm, uh, I'm going to try to work Pokemon no, Go no, in at the stop end. It. Stop um, but I feel but like we're just yeah. exposing our old man curmudgeonliness, which yeah. is not something I want to do. I wanted to, look, to do a chat about the election. Yep. But I guess I wanted to kind of even have a conversation beforehand about why we're even having a chat about the election. Yeah. You yeah. know, from the perspective of an emancipatory politics, mm. why do we care about election results? Mm. Well, very good question, isn't it? There's been a bunch of things that have been happening, maybe not big things, but things that are interesting nonetheless. Um, like we've had the case where Brisbane socialist alternative comrade Duncan Hart has won in his long battle oh, against Coles. But I think that needs to be interrupted. Yes. Before we can, like that's yes. something I want to talk about. Yes. But it's like I want to talk about that as a way of like working out what's going on yeah. in, in the conjuncture. Mm. And that's why I want to talk about the election. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. I think I'm not particularly interested in talking about yeah. the election yeah. um, because I think the results in themselves have anything positive no. to give, right? No. But I think it does matter mm. um, who wins an election because yeah. it tells us something about how um, what, how and what strategies the yeah. state might try to carry out in a particular conjunction. Yeah. And I guess something that we've been talking about for a while now is the inability of mm. the state to mm. effectively um, yeah. address the manifestations of the global crisis in Australia. Yeah. Yep. Right? Yep. So that crisis manifests in, in two different forms. Yep. Um, I really hope that angle grinder isn't being caught. We are sitting out in, in windy Brisbane streets, as, as always. always. Um, so that, that crisis, I think, manifests in, in two ways. Mm-hmm. One is the kind of general declining, long-term, gently sloping decline yeah. of capital accumulation yep. in Australia. Yep. And the other is accelerating debts. Yeah, and and like there's a lot of um, kind of comment that's made about, of course, the the level of debt of the Australian state is not as high no. as other countries, and yes, the conservative forces over egg, yeah, uh, yeah. how bad they are. But th- these are still the manifestations. Yep. And that so far, um, that no state has, no government has been able to coherently put together no. a project. No. So. What happens in the election then, or what just happened in the result, I want to kind of focus into that. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's good. And I think that we need to come into that through talking about, I guess, some of the things that have been happening in terms of our, you know, we always start with the election in these podcasts, I feel, you know, we always start there. Maybe we should look at what's kind of been happening, what are some of the little struggles going on, and then we'll talk about the election a bit. I think that's good too. I want you to speak close to the microphone though. Oh, Dave. Yeah, see, that's much better. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so too, because uh, like, I think there's a kind of a methodological point, you know, we've talked, we've bounced back a lot yep. about the need to, you know, the upside down periscope, the need to start from struggles. So the yep. one that I wanted to discuss was the one you mentioned beforehand, yeah, cool. which is uh, Duncan Hart, who's a comrade in social alternative, yep. who's um, 
what happened? Um, well, look, my understanding of this is basically that there was an agreement signed between the Shop Distributors Association. I think that's actually what they're called. Yeah. They're basically the, the, the shoppies, the retail union, uh, and Coles, a very large Australian supermarket business. Um, and that agreement basically, it, it, it didn't pass or shouldn't have passed what's in IR terms, industrial relations terms, called like a fair go test, basically. So it didn't pass. It didn't. In some of the criteria, some Better of the restrictions overall, right? in that That's legislation, it. in that particular um, piece of that particular agreement, didn't meet with the requirements of the Fair Work Act and mm. the requirements of the General Retail Award. So it was kind of a bit of an open shut case in a way, but it just took a long time to kind of get there. Mm. Basically, they had to prove that the retail agreement was did not meet those standards which are in there as, as part of the Fair Work Agreement which replaced mm. Work Choices back in 2008. And so what's really interesting about this, this was a case taken to the Fair Work Commission, that's correct, Yeah, yeah. by yeah. Duncan and an NTU official mm. working in an independent capacity. Yeah. Right? So yeah. Um, the, the thing that, like, there's a lot that really strikes me as being really, really interesting about yeah. this case and, and gives us something to, to think about what's going on in terms of struggles. Yeah. Like, I think the first point is that something that's kind of playing out in uh, capital accumulation in Australia at the moment is that there has been a general decline in the growth of wages, right? Mm. So there was a... I've got it sitting in front of me. In your bundle of papers somewhere. In my bundle of papers, unless it's over there. It's research note. I think it's on the bottom. It's on the bottom. No, that's a paper by the Reserve Bank in Australia. Yeah. It is right here. It was a research note published just recently by um, Ben Phillips by the ANU Centre for Social Research and Methods. So its general summary is that on average we find that living standards in Australia peaked in 2012 with mm. living, living standards increasing by 53.5% since March 1990. Mm. Since this peak, living standards have declined by, by 0.6% to March 2016. Over a five-year period, we find that growth in living standards are at their lowest point between 2010 and 2015, even lower than the growth expected during the last uh, last major Australian recession mm. in the early 90s. Yep. Australia only managed to manage growth of 1.2% during this period, well down to the strongest period, yada, mm. yada, yada. Mm. And I think what's really interesting about this is that what we have is actually relatively low unemployment, right? Yep. So the news today re reported that seasonally entrusted unemployment is up. Point zero, yeah, to 5.8%. But that is, for mainstream economists, pretty no. much in the world of yeah. functional full employment, right? Yeah, they yeah. would get worried if it was much lower. That's because right. It's yeah, meant yeah. to have a, that would have an upward impact on, on inflation. Yeah, and theory. on wages, right? So yep. what's really interesting is that unemployment is quite low. So workers mm. should actually be strategically in... A good um, place to be struggling. A good place to be struggling, totally, right? <clears throat> but what we're seeing is this general decline in wages. And so yeah. on one hand, like Duncan's case gives us an insight to yep. this, that there yep. are these network of sweetheart deals. Yep. Because after Duncan's case, there's been other ones that have yeah, been brought yeah. forward by... Um, also negotiated by the SDA. Yep. This network of sweetheart deals which are actually mm. holding down or lowering overall workers' yep. wages. I think that's yep. pretty interesting. Yeah, but this is really interesting for me thinking historically about this because back in the 80s, there was a real attempt by groups like the H.R. Nichols Society that people might be familiar with, which is like a far-right, like kind of um, e economically liberal think tank who, who went about trying to destroy the arbitration system. They saw the arbitration system 
as this huge impediment to business. They saw the harvester judgment as the worst thing that ever happened in Australian history. And basically, they went about kind of attacking what they called the, um, you know, the, 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 the sweetheart deals that, that were going on. The, they called it the Industrial Relations Club, oh, yeah, a okay. Melbourne-based Industrial Relations Club, of which the SDA is a huge representative, of course. There within, there's, there's this establishment of union officials and business people in government who effectively kind of keep Australia mediocre. This yeah, is their yeah. understanding, basically. And so what they wanted to argue for was kind of just the free play of individuals setting their own contracts. That's right, yeah. So it was very kind of utopian liberalism. But it's interesting that those same forces have mobilised Duncan's... attempted to mobilise Duncan's victory in that towards that objective. Yeah. Which is an interesting sort of parallel, I guess, into how, you know... And, and that wages are actually being repressed by this club. Well, right? that's right, yeah. So, it, And that's the other interesting parallel, of course, is that historically this compact has been what has made Australian wages so high. Mm. And it's what has made Australian living standards so high is the fact that there's always been organised labour, has always been particularly powerful, has never really been, except for during the Depression, a kind of unemployment problem in Australia. There's mm. always been this co- these cosy deals... So it's interesting now to see, you know, that this isn't the first time that this has happened, of course, but it's certainly the first time in recent history that a yeah. union has really been challenged in this way. And I, I see this leads me to another point, and I don't want this to be, like, taken in any ways, like, it's not a critique or a snarkiness or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the strategy that, that Duncan has pursued yeah. here and the strategy yeah. that a num- number of workers have pursued here yeah. is not a strategy of um, mm. organising with their workmates around them to take industrial action. No. Right, but has been a strategy of seeking legal redress yeah. through the mechanisms. Yeah. Now, I like my point isn't to go. This is wrong. They should have formed an anarcho-syndicalist union and called the general strike. Yeah. But actually, is a completely realistic response by yeah. workers in the bottom of the social hierarchy to yeah. the actual balance of forces. Yeah, yeah. You know that that it, it's a, it's a realization about just how hard it is to organize collectively. The yeah. very limited powers of unions. Yeah, yeah. And or and that that realistically that's part yeah. of the, the option to take is often yeah. a legalistic one, right? And let's not forget that, you know, Duncan, before this, had been working with comrades within the SDA to overturn their long-standing opposition to same-sex marriage. Yeah. So he'd been working within the union and getting nowhere. So, yeah. you know, it's understandable, you know, in these kind of right-wing, um, very bureaucratic unions yeah. that, you know, there's not a lot going on to a branch meeting or even being an organiser. Well, that, that even, that even the, these meetings exist, right? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah like they may that. not even exist. But, you know, yeah. I, I know Rob's made a joke that, if anything, it was evidence that maybe perhaps workers should stop paying their union dues and start paying them to the Fair Work Commission. Yeah, right? yeah, no. You know, and that, that's like a hilarious and kind of like snide yeah. point, but I think it's... Like, it's, it's just an interesting insight to yep. the balance of forces as they exist and what is realistic yep. in people's lives. Definitely. You know, we might not be happy with that. I don't think you could have a, a strategy that relies on legalism. No. But I think it's a really useful insight into yep. where people are at. Totally. Now, what else have we got going on at the moment? Well, the other thing that I wanted to talk about as well, just to, you know, to start from struggle, is just before the election, there was a report um, of four women that were arrested as part of a West Connect um, protest. And so this is from an article written by um, Wendy Bacon. Early on Tuesday morning, I don't have the exact date here, four women occupied a home in Ashfield, one of several properties in Treeline, Shander Street, slated for demolitions to make way for the $16.8 million West Connect tollway. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm interested in, in this story for two reasons. Because, um, as you know, I think the plan A for capital that has fallen over mm-hmm. was a plan to... Um, for infrastructure, you know, yep. infrastructure development. And 
it's fallen over. And it's interesting as well because the one place where it probably hasn't fallen over is in New South Wales. Yeah. So for people who haven't listened beforehand, the very summary of the plan is there was a federal approach which was meant to be that um, infrastructure could, would would be funded through cutting the amount of money that was given to the social wage yep. and uh, simultaneously raising funds through privatisation of state assets on a state level. Yep. Right? These funds would then be used to build these privately owned, privately constructed infrastructure that'd be yep. stimulus in themselves and that'd increase productivity by yep. reducing the turnover time of commodities, capital and labour. Yep. All right. Broken in no small part because of the Queensland election results, as well Definitely, as yeah. you know the inability of this legislation, a lot of it, to pass through yep. the federal parliament. Yep. New South Wales is really interesting because the Baird government there, which is the only government that the Australian Financial <laughs> Review basically support. That's um, right, yeah. And they're the only gov- state government that has any level of popular support as well. Because well, Baird is seen as like kind of a social liberal. Which is really interesting because he's... He's seen as a social liberal, but in some ways has been incredibly authoritarian. Definitely, so, yeah, definitely. One thing that I haven't paid too much attention to, but it's probably important, is that um, the the Baird government kind of forcibly amalgamated a whole mm. series of yeah. local councils. Mm. Largely, it seems, in the way to get rid of council-based opposition to the building of the West Connect Highway. That's right, yeah. Right? That's, that, that's literally what it was about, yes. So, so which, is, which is really amazing, and we mm. might be able to try to bring that into some of the, the kind of conversations about, about the how capital yeah. is thinking about yeah, its inability yeah. to craft a political solution. Yeah. Um, but also what I'm really interested about this article is that um, the, it says that the women were supported by Greens Senator Leah Rihanna and Greens candidate for Grandler Jim Casey and Greens candidate for Sydney Sylvie Ellsmore. Mm. Right? So for me, this inter- this identifies another kind of dynamic that's yeah. going on between yeah. struggle, yeah. which is there's an element of the class that out there that is very, like, that is moving between direct yep. action and electoralism. Yeah. Does that make yep. sense? Yep. So, you know, like, a comrade of ours, Liam, um, made a point, you know, he used to be a part of the Socialist Alliance, you know, and they were always used to say that there was, you know, ultra-left direct action, yep. there was, like, liberalism, and yep. then there was mass action in the middle. Yeah. And yep. it's like, that's just gone out of the equation. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, what, what totally. you have pe- is people engage in direct action and electoral strategies in this zigzagging yeah. kind of way. And of course, as well, which we talked yeah. about last time. In the last one, and it, for me, what is interesting is the contradictions about that, too. Like, mm-hmm. And I, I think the thing that comes through that is power. Yep. In the same way we could we could think about Duncan's case as well. It's about yeah, yeah. power. People That's are right. saying, where is their power? Yep, <laughs> you know, totally. And they're, they're going yep. to the Fair, Fair Work Commission because that looks there. like it has yep. more power yep. than collective yep. organisation around them. So... Yep. Um, and I think that the other reason, though, so I think that's interesting yeah. as a way yeah. of kind of setting out two examples yeah. that say something about the yeah. kind of struggle that is going on, yeah. that the election then happens in. Yeah, totally. Um, and then I guess this kind of can, can segue into our discussion then about about this federal election and what, what's really come out of it. But I guess to start off with, we might want to... Before we move on to that, I'll just mention quickly that Baird government has also banned greyhound racing in the last few days. And I think that more to do with this might be tied into the infrastructure planning and freeing up a whole lot of space yeah, that totally. was previously being used up by, um, by greyhound tracks to be redeveloped into luxury condominiums. And it seems like a pretty like incredibly smart move because you kind of win this like... Yeah, you know, greyhound racing is probably yeah. cruel in the way that a whole bunch of stuff is cruel. Yeah, totally. Uh, but then suddenly you've had this freeing up of, of, yeah. uh, of land as well. Totally. Um, and I guess, the, and I guess this is the other point to put in into yeah. the picture of capital accumulation, yeah. you know, which we've yeah. talked about in a bit in Australia. Yeah. If you look at the stats so far over the last six months, they're really yeah. weird. Mm. So apart yeah. from like 
a general sloping down of wages. There's actually yeah, been yeah. a drop in profits as a pro, as yeah. a proportion of GDP, yeah. and also a decline of business investment. Yeah. But GDP growth is still being maintained largely either by consumer spending, con- yeah. consumer credit at home, yeah. and basically Chinese stimulus abroad, yeah. right? And the yeah. consumer uh, spending at home is really about this retail unit bubble. So again, Definitely. with Bear, yep. you have this, yep. this facilitation yep. of that real estate yep. unit bubble that's playing totally, out. Yep. And so I think, you know, the same way we talked about the right to the city in the last episode, yeah. this, the opposition to, um, like, highway construction yeah. is in itself a way, is a part of the right to the city. <laughs> oh, definitely. Too. Oh, I, I, absolutely. It always, it, always, it always has been. And what's really interesting here... Uh, but in a contradictory way. Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, let, let, let's move into our discussion then about, about the election. And I, I, I had something else to say on this right to the city thing, but I've forgotten it now. So let's just hope that I remember it okay. as, we, as we progress through this discussion. Okay, yeah. so uh, I guess to frame it, yep. you know, like the, the election was a double dissolution election yep. that was really set up at, like, um, by the Turnbull government in an attempt to clear away the problems of the parliament that the Turnbull-Morrison government inherited, right? Yeah, that's right. So, and these problems, I think, have been best theorised by our friends uh, Tad and Liz at Left Flank when they talk about anti-politics. And so, in short, the absence of a social base for political parties means you get these parliaments that are full... Well, not full, but where a sizable amount of, of power exists in the hands of minor parties and independents yep. and so legislation finds it very difficult to get through that's right and yep. that neither of the major parties can craft a kind of social alliance that's that right. can push their vision through that, yep. that can carry them with it yep. um, and so i think the the Turnbull government really did want to reinstate the australian business and construct australian building and construction commission yeah yeah which is you know basically was a star commission uh former yeah, yeah. secret police against the construction union yeah, although then they kind of disappeared from the from their vernacular when it seems that Turnbull decided to go for a kind of low target strategy yeah. in this election and try to kind of present himself as the as the candidate of, 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 of continuity and calm, which obviously completely failed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, of course, you know, that they tried to destroy because previously they had this unworkable Senate with all these weirdos in it. They tried to get rid of that by changing the Senate voting laws, but then they called it double dissolution which kind of just leveled the playing field completely and sent it back to a state where it was they, they, they basically halved the quotas, yeah. which basically just means that you had could you, you, if you got half as many votes as you normally could, you would get a seat. Yeah. So that's led to, again, another lovely, lovely disruptive Senate yeah. um, of Xenophonies. Um, three, one nation, which is pretty... Potentially, it's, it's all a bit weird at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. About what the... I'm, um, I'm not sure... If my internet access is up, let's have a look. I don't know if I've connected. No, it's not connected. Doesn't matter. To, yeah. I, I looked um, at these stats this morning, and yeah, so you, pretty much what they're saying at the moment is there's going to be about eight or nine kind of cross benches proper. So it's not including the Greens, yeah. who are now, even as Di Natale admitted recently, uh, are a main, mainstream party now. Yeah. Then are a major party, and they're suffering. That's something we can discuss: is that the Greens are suffering yeah. as a result of their new found position as a mainstream yeah, yeah. party. And, and I, I don't know yeah. how much we want, like, I think this is a kind of interesting thread for us yep. about how much we want to give a kind of consideration of the Greens. That's right. Of a, yeah. But, um, yep. And I, I think there's some, some potholes there. But it's, it's really, yeah. so, so the, yeah. the major party vote was at a historic low. Historic low. Yeah, there's a great um, graph which we'll post as a comp- accompanying this 
uh, blog post, which basically shows the vote of the two major parties and the vote of independents, that includes the Greens and everybody else, yeah. and how over the last 50 years we've seen these pretty much, you know, with obviously the movements to and fro as you get in reality, but, you know, more and more there's been a divergence of yeah. these votes, and, you know, um, this is something that, you know, the, the piping strike and, 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 and Tad and, and Liz have been talking about. So, and it looks like the, the, the Turnbull government will have an actual majority of either 76 or, or 77. 77. Yeah, that's so right. that's either just the amount you need or yep. one more. Yep. Um, whilst the Labor Party really treated this loss as a victory. Yeah, I know. Um, it just shows how completely weird this electoral cycle has been. But, but they had the, historically their lowest primary vote ever. Second lowest. Second lowest? Second lowest. Uh, um, I think... It's since their second lowest, I think, yeah, because the, the, the lowest was actually 2013, and this is a slight improvement on that. Oh, wow. So that, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. And then you did have these votes that went to yep. um, these kind of micro-parties, I that's guess. Right. So Nick yep. Xenophon, which are South Australian anti lobby group. They started as like an anti-gambling yep. group, but now they've kind of become... Argue, they, they basically now argue for increased state investment yep. in, in a... In the manufacturing sector in South Australia, yeah. basically, and that that that's that's one of their big things. Um, yeah. And then you've got One Nation on the other hand, whose policies, God knows. But, well, and know, I think we need to talk about One we'll Nation. We'll talk about that separately, specifically. Yeah. But just yeah. to be clear, I think the way I look there, their, their kind of national Senate vote, yeah, was something. It was hovering around yeah. about five percent. Yeah, that and it was if they got more votes than the Greens by a considerable amount in Queensland. In Queensland. Yeah. So they, yeah. at the Senate level, they, they outpolled the Greens. Yeah. But then they also won seats in WA and New South Wales. It seems. Yeah. So I think, um, well, what do we make of this, right? So we'll... Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, speaking briefly about international affairs, shit's been cray overseas, and there's been these effects, I think, you know, like, so there's been... Brexit, obviously, the vote for... However, that's going to turn out. We've seen, you know, the okay. rise of Donald Trump and, you know, maybe his kind of, like, protégés in the UK or whether it's the other way around, you know, Nigel Farage and Boris Johnson. And you've got some kind of messiness around mainstream politics uh, okay. is kind of disintegrating. Okay. So, so, so this is a global argument, yeah, right? Yeah, no, totally. So, I think it needs to be framed I'll, in that way. Yeah. We don't need to stress it too much. I'm not sure. I kind of want to... See, I've got a slight problem with it. So, yeah. as I understand it, the global argument is kind of like a technocratic centrist liberal government. Yeah. A yeah. Li liberal argument that says yeah. something like, politics is breaking apart, the mm. centre is losing its hold, you have all these kind of, like, people mm. have been marginalised by the product project of globalisation yeah. that are yeah. now turning in a kind of populist rage yeah, to the yeah. far right sometimes, but maybe also Corbyn and Sanders. That's right. Right? And yeah. then you get these kind of... Um, then arguments saying that these are people who are a threat to democracy and we That's need right. to yeah, either yeah. reintegrate them yeah. or rein them in. Yeah. So I think you the the two different versions you get, those arguments, I, I forget there was a column in the Fairfax Press recently which was like, don't, you know, we can't ridicule Hanson, we need to talk to her base. Yeah. And then I think it's Alan Moran in the Australian Financial Review yeah, had yeah. an article about democracy is consuming prosperity. Yeah. And that, you know, you needed yeah. constitutional limitations to yeah. keep the people awake. Reminds me of, of old Brothold Brecht's more, one of his more famous lines would it not be easier in this case for the government well, to dissolve the people Moran finishes his article he does that is fascinating oh, yeah. oh my and so, I think he um, hopefully he, he understood in, the in irony a, in that no he does in a jokey <laughs> way right? oh god, but, um, oh, god. But so my kind oh, of is rolling in his I, I think there's a lot of kind of problems with this and like 
I think on one hand there is a truth to like there has been a global phenomena of mm. the hollowing out of politics, right? Yeah, I think totally. that's true. The problem that I have with that is if you look at the narrative that's rolled out about yeah. hashtag Brexit, yeah, whether yeah. you believe it or not, and I think yeah. the work of Navarra and particularly the work of like Ash Saka has been yeah, like yeah. really important in kind yeah, of like yeah. pulling apart this understanding of it as being just this kind of expression against misery, yeah. but also really tying its racial content and how racism yeah. operates in this area. Yep. Is that I don't think that narrative actually describes what's happened in Australia in the last twenty no, years. I don't I don't I don't think it does either. So like like so the in case in England you have this narrative that says, okay, the first phase of neoliberalism is the flight of capital. Yep. Right? So capital flees from these previously industrial areas and yep. then just leaves them fucked. Yeah. Right? And then capital reinvests in basically finance, real estate and the rest yep. located in London. And yep. leaves these areas just in decay. Yeah. I think the problem with that in that, first of all, I think there was a difference in Australian neoliberalism was carried yeah, out by the definitely. ACTU, the Labor Party, in terms yeah. of its rhythms. Yeah. But even if you say there was a similar flight you know, of capital yeah. from, say, Newcastle, Wollongong, manufacturing, yeah. because Australia had a mining boom, yeah. right, the, yeah. and this mining boom then led to kind of a lot of people working as fly-in, fly-out workers, yeah. I do think there's a geography of disadvantage that exists yep. in Australia, but it doesn't map on in the no. same way. The actual, the, 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 the sorry, the, the, the Hanson vote emerges largely from na heavy national areas. National party voters mm. tend to go one nation. I mean, there is a layer of Labour Party voters will go that way. Yeah. But, but, you know, overwhelmingly, it's national areas that go that way. So, so I'm worried. That, that's yeah. why. And I, I, I've got a... And there's also, you know, Richard Seymour has made this kind of argument that populism just kind of, as a concept, yeah. collapses yep. kind of everything. Yeah, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, and also as well, it's because like I think you can understand maybe Trump, Farage as a product of a long, yeah, of eight years of financial crisis and austerity. Yep. But we actually haven't seen that in Australia. No, you not, know? not at all. Yeah. No, I mean, and any attempts at austerity have largely been stopped by our great saviours in the Senate. Well, yeah, have fallen down by That's this right. very yeah. anti-political... Yeah. Even yeah. though like, the kind of left wants to make this argument that the, yeah. the coalition has carried out this slash-and-burn strategy, mm. they've actually yeah. failed at doing that. Yeah, you know? definitely. And, and that one of the clearest examples was the, the failure of the, the Newman government yeah. in Queensland. Now they, they got an yeah. element of things through, but they destroyed the project yeah, for, yeah. For, the rest of, for the rest of Queensland, for the rest of the nation. Yep. Um, now, I don't think we have time to actually talk about Queensland No, not, politics, not, not really. I'm not sure where we're uh, at. Well, yeah, and, you know, I've, I've got to go back to work. At you some, do, at some, some point, probably. But I think one thing that's really interesting about this is, so what does this mean then for the conjecture is that it yeah. seems unlikely that you'll have a state that will be able to do anything. Yeah, no, that's, and that's I, right. And I think this will be tested, you know, so yeah. um, the thing to remember is that the current budget hasn't yeah. yet been put through Parliament. Yeah. So there are huge... One of the things I find really hard about doing my work with Sober Senses, it's really hard to track what from previous budgets has actually gone through. Yeah. So since the, the Abbott um, hockey government, yeah. the previous version of the coalition governments. Yeah. There's all these budget measures that never went through Parliament, yeah. yet they're factored in to subsequent Cost, budgets yeah, yeah. as saved costs, yeah. right? So they're these zombie measures yep. that linger around but haven't passed. Oh, totally, right? yeah. So um, the change in strategy, if the infrastructure strategy fell over, yeah. whereas that the current Turnbull-Morrison government is yeah. working on this idea that they want to like, um, bring through these phase 10-year cuts yep. to company tax yep. on the idea that this will 
free up uh, capital that will yeah. now be reinvested in higher levels of technology that will yeah. increase productivity and wages, yeah. right? Yeah. So wh whether you think this will happen or not, yeah. right, yeah. that this strategy would be successful, yeah. at the moment they haven't even got that through Parliament. No. So there will be a test to see if they can do anything. That's right. They'll get it through the lower house, but basically what I understand is that if the Senate falls the way people are saying it's going to fall, basically the Liberals are going to need eight out of the nine crossbenchers to pass anything. Yeah. And that means One Nation and Xenophon are going to have to agree. That means that, that, that um, One Nation and Kathy McGowan are going to... Yeah. Oh, not Kathy McGowan, but, um, you know, the, the, the smattering of, 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 of other senators who are in that who are, who are in the Senate are going to have to uh, agree on this. And that um, seems pretty unlikely to pass any kind yeah, of budgetary yeah, yeah, yeah. measures, except maybe for the, strangely enough, the superannuation reforms. Yeah. that are opposed by the right of the Liberal Party. Yeah. So, you know, the only, thing, <laughs> the only thing he might get past is the thing that might destroy him. So, so this is... So what, one of the first things that's happened since then is that Standard & Poor's um, put out a notification that Australia's yep. credit rating hasn't dropped, yep. but its outlook is negative, yep. which I understand that they think it will drop, yep. meaning that they think it's very unlikely that yep. the state will be able to do anything yep. that will put the budget in a position that yep. the rating agencies are happy with. Yep. So I, my bet yeah. is that unless there's... Like, there's all this talk about, oh, maybe there'll be another election. Yeah. But if you agree with the kind of argument that Pat and Liz is making, yeah, yeah. I guess the point is that another election won't solve anything because the yeah. problems are systemic. That right. politics yeah, yeah. doesn't have any base yeah. at the moment, yeah. so it has the inability of developing yeah. a solution. There's this kind of common sense understanding in political circles that if you hold an election pretty quickly after another one, people will flock to the centre because they just yeah. want to, don't want to have to buddy do it again. Yeah. And I'm and not I sure if that will happen now yeah, because so, you know none of these people have been able to predict anything bloody happening in the last few years. So, so, so I think, yeah, you're totally right. Uh, I, I think what that will mean is that the state will have a... a there will be a continuation of the state's inability to intervene Yep. As as things continue to manifest in yeah, terms yeah. of capital accumulation continues to slow, state yep. debt continues to develop, yep. and that's without yep. anything else on the global schedule of the accumulation of capital erupting. Yep. That's right. right. Yep. Um, so I, I, that that would be my general prognosis of what the election means. That's right. Uh, so yep. I, I, like, and I think if there's a kind of a political conclusion from that, yeah, that's yeah. different from constantly trying to manifest like a Turnbull government as some kind of rampageous, austerity, neoliberal yeah. bugbear, no. you know, that'll be able to, like, reshape mm. the Australian society with a whim and get rid of this lovely social democratic yeah. heritage destroy, or whatever. Destroy Medicare. Yeah. You know. So... It seems it seems pretty pretty unlikely that they're going to be able to do very much of any of any of any consequence. You know, they can't even get the negative gearing changes through, which the, even the real estate industry is saying might be the only thing that keeps us from entering a housing bubble. Yeah. Pop. Yeah. Basically. So, so uh, um, I, so that that's would be my like I don't. Yeah. If we looked at the conjuncture, I think that's yeah. what we're going to look at. Yeah. Um, which I don't know, people. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to kind of like postulate kind of strategic conclusions from that, no. but rather just kind of outline yeah. where things the best that kind we can of are. Do. And so Endnotes um, talks about the holding pattern as this mm. metaphor. Yeah. Okay. You know, in their pre where they talk about like in the space of after the financial crisis, yeah. capital. Oh, that's another point I want to want to link to is monetary policy, right? So. Yeah. Um, that, that it, in the response to the financial crisis, the mixture of their austerity, then stimulus, and their yep. unorthodox monetary policy, where basically central banks made money cheap 
yeah. if not free, yeah. has not been able to relaunch capital accumulation, but kind of no. keep it from crashing in this holding yeah. pattern, maybe yeah. generally in big spirals yeah. getting worse. And I think that's an yeah. adequate description to what's going on. Yeah, certainly internationally. With, with yeah. these points of struggle that are yeah. emerging yeah. Um, in these interesting ways around yeah. wages at the edges, yeah. right? and I think also yeah. the kind of struggle of largely migrant workers in 7-Elevens yep, and, yep, and the like. Yep. These are all really important, small but yep. important indicators. Yep. Obviously, there is areas of quite extreme yeah. combat, like combat, in industrial yeah. relations combat, than, for what is going on in Australia at the moment in the yep. construction sector. Yep. You know, there are these struggles over the right to the city. You know, there yep. are these points yep. which yep. are beginning to articulate yep. something else, but we've got to be realistic about um, yep. what's going on there. The other yep. thing I want to link to this is that What's been happening with the state being able to, government being able to intervene, is yeah. a lot of the heavy lifting is put on the Reserve Bank of Australia to keep things afloat with monetary yeah. policy. Yeah. The, the problem is, like, what can they do? Well, basically, yeah. all they can really do is try to lower interest rates yeah. to stimulate investment. But the problem is this is in a world where yeah. interest rates are really, really, really low. Yeah, there basically like, is no global interest yeah, rate. Yeah, and there's, there's, like, there's, like, capital is just washing around. Yeah. So how effective yeah. are these are yeah. these reductions? And yeah. you, it's they've only got a, they've got a timing question. You know how yeah. bad can they let it let it get before they go down another point five percent or yeah, or yeah, whatever. Right. So the the understanding at the moment is that they is that the the market, for a lack of a better term, expects a continual lowering of interest rates in the future to yeah. kind of keep everything afloat. Yeah. So you have the central bank attempting yeah, to do yeah. this yeah. very limited strategy, right? Yeah. Like. Um, I don't see how that can have any real effect at the moment. Totally, particularly because you know it's just globally we're seeing these huge floods of capital yeah. that might stop yeah. the roof from falling in, but yeah. don't launch any real yeah. basis of accumulation. And yeah. people can argue about why that is. You know, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. generally you might have this. I generally hold to a broad idea that there is an overaccumulation of capital. Yeah. You know that there is just so much capital out there. The capital has yeah. grown to grown to such a level that the profitabilities yep. and return of capital are increasingly marginal, right? Yep. So capital success, in fact, yep. undermines its ability of profitability. You know, profitability. Yep. But I'm not, like, religious yep. about that in, in no, the way no. that other people are. It does kind of make me fearful, though, of the uh, how did capital get itself out of the Great Depression? Well, oh, it was well, Second World War, right? Second World War. And we're seeing, you know, increasing conflict both in the South China Sea and also um, with Russia um, and, the, and the American... America is moving more forces into Europe as we speak as part of the new part of their new defense budget. Well, it, okay, if we want to talk about those kind of worrying yeah. developments, another yeah. piece of news was that yeah. previously um, China had committed that it would keep the value of its currency as it was, mm. and this was apparently yeah. a commitment made at G20 meetings. Yeah. Since then, it's engaged apparently in a policy of lowering its currency. Yep. Now, what is this about? In yeah. simple terms, if a country kind of lowers its currency, it makes yep. its exports cheaper, yep. Yep. right? So it's a way of basically going, screw you, Jack, to everyone else. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be concerned about capital accumulation here. Yeah, right? So right. breaking yep. from a global strategy yep. of powerful capital nation states yep. to one of, well, yep. actually, things are looking pretty bleak. Yep. What, what I really yep. care about is social peace yep. at home by keeping manufacturings yep. up. And that's really just a realisation of, of reality of the last 10 years and the real decline of American hegemony. Within the Tope. financial crisis, the, the crisis in the EU, China is seeing this as a sign of weakness. Or, you know, like I'm not an international relations yeah. expert. I don't want to say any more about this. Yeah. But just to say that there are these 
there are these other kind of international lines of conflict that we need to be wary of. And I think it's also an indication of a strategy that a state is making where it thinks things are doing so badly, it needs to take an aggressive strategy against other... It's like increased competition between nation states for fractions of global capital. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. Um, that, that that's worrying. Yeah, in, in ter- and it, but indicative of where things are at. Though um, totally. so I've got another thing that I'm trying to work on about trying to understand yeah. how understand how capital understands capital. But we'll yeah, no, that's, that sounds way too think, better for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I think it's important in the sense of like you know we talk about in this conversation mm. about what the state will do. To respond to crisis. Yep. But how do the people that make up political parties, that yep. make up think tanks, that make yep. up state bureaucracies? What do they imagine? Capitalize? How do they actually understand? Yeah. You know, how do they understand yeah, what's a going on? Really interesting right? historical question that a, a, a bunch of historians are currently thinking about as well. Is the origins oh, of really? the economy as an idea? Yeah, totally. Where did the economy come from? And how, how do you measure it? Like, so if if you like, if you have a mainstream economic thinking that a priori excludes yeah. the idea that there's a, a tendency to crisis within yep. the economy. Yeah. Like, how then do you do... Um, do those factors... Under, do those people who have that ideology understand what's going on? Totally. You yeah. know, or even, like, if... The other point is, like, I think one of the key arguments that comes out of, of Capital, the book, mm. you know, written by Marx, is actually yeah. that capitalism as a system yeah. obfuscates to its participants yeah. what is happening. Yep. So you have this constant phrase that's yep. used all the time, which is behind the backs of the producers. Yeah. That in a commodity system, what something is worth is worked out yeah. behind our backs, right? Yeah. But it, yeah. We don't understand what's going on in yeah. volume three yeah. of capital. He talks about to actual capitalists, they don't understand that labour is the source of profitability. What they care about, they look at all their inputs, they look at their, the cost of things that sell sell that, and yeah. they go, we want to get those down. Yeah, right? that's right. And that the whole system works through this process of creating averages. Yeah. It's not in anyone's control. So yeah. if you combine like that yeah. with the people who are charged with managing that according ideology, yeah. then you basically say that none of these people really know what's going on. No. Or, and I want to add to this, because I haven't yeah. had a chance to add a right to this. If you yeah. think about the 20th century, you could go, okay, the response to... Um, the, to the depression maybe it was Keynesianism the response yep. to tax stagflation in the 70s was Milton Friedman monetarism what we now call neoliberalism yeah like I would say both these theories are wrong yeah you know the, these are incorrect ways to understand what a capitalist economy is yeah yet they simultaneously were useful yeah <laughs> you know, and like, they are now proving simultaneously useful again in contradictory ways with a little bit of Friedman here a little bit yeah. of Keynes here so I think that's really interesting right so yep. we go like the, the they're wrong, but they're not totally wrong. <laughs> so no, I like, always, all, like all ideologies. Ideology says true things about falsehoods. Yeah, I think I can't remember like Althusser's exact summary of it, and whether you want to go down the entire Althusser no, road. It, but it's something like um, imagine the imagined image of real conditions of existence, yes, or something yes, like yes. that. And Zizek has a similar line. Yeah. So, so, but it's still that it's wrong. Yeah, right? definitely. Yeah. But I yeah. think that I think that's super interesting. Talking about being wrong. Yeah. I think one thing we should talk about before I have to go back to work yeah. um, is the election of Pauline Hanson. Yes, and no, let's, let's spend five minutes on this. What yeah. that means, right? Like, Because mm. we have tried previously yep. to talk about the rise of racist nationalist politics in yep. Australia. Yep. And we've never been very successful no. at it. And it, it's one of the... I kind of struggle about it, but... Yep. I don't think that the... I'm just going to kind of say that I don't think the election of Pauline Hanson and the One Nation 
these One Nation senators really says an awful lot about race, racism amongst the white Australian working class. I think it's probably, if we actually do some analysis on this, I'm imagining people voted for Hanson because she is, you know, the anti-political candidate, that she represents, that, that she's against politicians, that she speaks her mind, that she's not afraid of challenging interests and stuff, not necessarily because she doesn't even understand what halal is, let alone many of the people who who would, who would vote for her really understand what, what, what these things are. And, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of dubious yeah. to an argument that says that this is an implicitly racist vote. I find, I, I say, there, there was like, I find this, okay, yeah, let, let I want to think about this, so... Yeah. On one hand, the, the, the counter-argument to that would be yeah. is that she ran on a platform yeah. which was racist. Oh, yeah, know? no, definitely so, she did. So, like, and is known, yeah. like, historically as someone yeah. who originally came to Parliament yeah. with statements um, against the welfare support of Indigenous people and generally yeah, racist totally. comments about Indigenous people, yeah. but then also, like, um, a, a voicing of like a white Australia policy against Asian immigration. You know? Yeah, totally. And then yeah. she's then shift that to be a, be a prominent voice of opposition to, to, to Muslim yeah. immigration. Right? Yeah. The two other, other things I want to make about this comment yeah. is while I agree that she probably appears on the status of an outsider, yeah. I think it is entirely incorrect to do yeah. not diagnose her I think as so an outsider. As well. yeah. Ooh, there, there, are, there are a few... Uh, People in Australian politics who are more an insider in a way than, than Pauline Hanson. So and, and there's two and two. There's a number of things to talk about, right? Yeah. She, uh, first of all, is that uh, one of her key staffers? Yeah. Is is Ashby. his name Ashby? James who, James Ashby. James yeah. Ashby, who yeah. was a previous Liberal staffer for bloody Peter Slipper and that old who was involved in getting disaster. rid of Peter Slipper, right? Yeah, so, that's right. So yeah. the, for people who paid attention to that dodgy insider, he's yeah. now her pilot. And political staffer. Yeah. And then I think one of the other One Nation um, senators-elect probably yep. is going to be this guy who is the head of the Galileo Institute, yep. which is a climate change denial organisation. Yep. But until this guy started spouting more crazy anti-Semitic theories, yeah, yeah. what had on its board Andrew yep. Bolt and yep. Alan Jones, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. The, the other thing that this thing I think it, it leads us to think about is that yeah. Pauline Hanson is part of like a right-wing ecology, and that's yeah. a term I'm pinching from a viewpoint yeah. article or constellation or block or whatever you want to that yeah. stretches from out and out neo-Nazi, yeah. completely marginal, violent neo-Nazis yeah. through to the kind of attempts to reinvent fascism, like the United Patriots Front, yeah, Jim yeah. Salen's mob. To the yeah. Liberal Party, you know, yeah, so, yeah. so like, um, what's the South Australian senator? Um, Corey Bernardi. Corey Bernardi and the bloke up north, George Christensen. George Christensen. So she sits somewhere in that constellation. Yep. You know, and in in, in turn, and I think you know this is a political block that does manifest new racism. Yep. But what's their social base? Is, does it really have a social base beyond kind of this electoral sort of protest vote? Okay, so I think that's a really interesting point, right? Because yep. straight after her election, um, there was the kind of a sharing of an article um, from Marxist Left Review, which is like the 
yep. theoretical journal of socialist alternative. And something yeah. I found really interesting is that the kind of complete atrophication of the far left yep. has increased the voice of socialist alternatives. Yeah, right? no, like, yes. I actually find myself referring to their work a lot more because there's not startling. a lot else. Yeah, um, I know. I but, but they ran the pretty standard line, which was kind of trying to explain Hansenism as a product of kind of the much of the the decaying position of the middle classes, yeah, right? Yeah. Which is really interesting because Ben Hillier, yeah. um, in their more popular journal, explains yeah. the Greens as a product of the middle classes. So they have yeah, this yeah. ideological worldview where you know yeah. workers are proto-socialist, capitalists are proto-liberal, and the middle classes who have these people, yeah, green like, fascists, yeah, the green fascists, yeah. everything else. <laughs> and like, the, I thought the arithmetic that they used was like a major flaw. Like yep. where they they would do things like they would go oh yes there were work, like if you look at Hanson '96 yep. there were workers who joined One Nation yep. but you know these were non-unionized workers right oh, yeah, like, yeah. so it, it's like mixed what was like a sociological analysis yeah. with a political one yeah but I also don't really like this kind of blocky understanding of class to begin with. I think it, but the yeah. point that I have a problem with that is that whiteness yeah. And so I'm desperately trying to read up on this concept. So whiteness, as it's used by people like Noel Ignatiev, in his, yeah, like yeah. or racism more generally, yeah. it works because it always builds across class identity. Yeah. Does that does that make yeah, sense? Yeah. You know, well, that, yeah. That's kind of that basic argument that racism is just a means of dividing and making unclear class divides. But I don't want to. I don't think it's that mm. instrumental. Yeah. No. And like, I mean, I, I don't think that there's some force out there with the um, with the puppeteer fingers or whatever going yeah, on. Yeah, so it's like often it's this idea that racism is this like, you know, this mist that yeah, is yeah. breathed out ideologically yeah. <laughs> onto our minds to obscure us, mm. our yeah. false consciousness. Yeah. Where I think it's more of the idea that the actual real history yeah. of capitalist societies yeah. has created the material basis Yeah. For a lived understanding mm. where people see their interests as an ethno-nationalist one. Yeah, totally. Right? Like, yeah. And I find that, I get that yeah. at the kind of level, but the more I think about it, it kind of falls apart. Yeah. And the thing that I find is like, that would be really easy to understand in some ways for most of Australian history. Yes. Because there's officially the white, na- white, white Australia policy. What, the white Australia policy, right? Yeah. No, so... Certainly, and I think that that analysis holds particularly for you know Australia as a kind of extreme case of violent settler society in yeah. particular. Um, and yeah, so genocide against hold. indigenous yeah, people. Yeah, no, and then exclusion of non-whites at the same yeah. time. Yeah, and th- where you have like a long ongoing tradition of large amounts of the labour movement. Yeah, that is invested Being absolutely instrumental in that, and you still see that today. You know, in, in, in unfortunate CFMEU shares of kind of like protect Aussie jobs or, you know, mm. sacked for being an Australian and some of these other sort of things that you see. That's really difficult territory. It is. To talk oh, about, it's very right? Difficult. Like, yeah. because, like, um, I think, let, we'll see if we can get there in this yeah. time. It's, well, you know, I think we're, our five minutes is going truly up. Yeah. Nation. Uh, well, because the other point, like, I've been reading this Etienne Balabar book. Yeah. Uh, Etienne Balabar and Emmanuel Wallerstein, things called Race... Nation? Nation class. class. And, like, um... It's really interesting because it's a book written in France in the late 80s. And I'm like, yeah. is this relevant? You yeah. know, like, how relevant is it? Yeah, yeah. But in, the, in, his, in Balabar's first two essays, he, like, makes these really amazing points, which I think yeah. are totally relevant to One Nation. Like, yeah. And the first thing is, he goes, you have this shift from race functioning as a question of bio, biology to culture. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is totally true. 
but also that racism presents itself, mm. new racism presents itself as the force to resist racial conflict. So yeah. it says there are cultural differences between people. Yeah. Yeah. These cultural differences yeah. are incompatible. Yeah. Therefore, what yeah. we need yeah. is to exclude yeah. other cultures to yeah. resist conflict in the And that's, that's certainly like in my research into the shift in Australian migration policy in the 60s and 70s, you see this clearly. Yeah. Like it comes out that, you know, the only we talk about race, we talk about cultures that are troubling. We talk about importing violent cultures mm. rather than importing particular racial types. You know, yeah, yeah. That becomes decidedly unpopular in Australia quite late in the piece. Yeah. But, you know, um, it's, it's certainly that shift away from the idea of biological race to some sort of yeah. sociological concept of culture. Yeah. And I think the other thing that Balabar wants to talk about is... This happens also in global... Like, you have a shift from racism, which was either exterminationist, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. the settler colonisation of Australia yeah, yeah. Yeah. was exterminationist towards Indigenous people. Yeah. Or a form of, ex, like, exclude and exploit. You know, then you... So European colonies where, you know, people are held in colonies and ex, hyper-exploited. Yeah. To this shift, you know, from the 70s, yeah. which is increasing migration from former colonies. Yep. And then that shifts how racism operates. And I think mm. that's quite useful to Definitely. understand racism, Hansenism at a, as a yeah. real presence. So I think, I yeah. think it is a racist vote, right? Like, mm. Yeah, and I mean, in that way, you can kind of say that, that as all Australians vote in kind of racist ways, in these sublimated racist sort of ways, I, because they exist and they profit from the, um, the they receive the profits of whiteness. Yeah. You know? And I mean, that's kind of something that exists kind of ideologically, but I'm not sure whether it represents any new type of, you know, militant, organised political racism. I think that it definitely represents the wages, sorry, the wages of whiteness, yeah. as um, that author who I forget the name of talks about in the American context, yeah. because they want to defend that, because white yeah. Australians want to defend that. And you, migrants who've been here for a while and have settled down want to benefit in that, in the, that kind of whiteness that they have been able to benefit from. They want to. Yeah. They want to. They've moved here. They've settled down. They are now benefiting from that as well. In, in in these kind of contradictory ways, yeah, totally. you know. Because like I think, um, how do we kind of like articulate this? I yeah. think one thing that is also really interesting is that say the struggle of migrant workers and indigenous yeah. people yeah. in the sixties and seventies yeah. destroyed as part of the rise of the new left as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, destroyed the white Australia policy. Yeah, compelled the Australian state. Yep. become formally anti-racist. We do yep. have a formally anti-racist state. Yep. And then multiculturalism exists both as a product of the victories of migrant workers. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yep. And also a state strategy of managing internal differences. Yeah, simultaneously, totally. right? Like yep. and um and it's also capital is not happy about the one nation vote or the No, of course not. Vote. This isn't a, this isn't something that, that the capital supports in any way. Like there's so, no so there's a people behind there's this. a complicated thing yeah. there. But also yeah. it's you know, I think there are very real material benefits yep. like, to how you are racialized in Australia. That's right. Like in a yeah. real way, right? Yeah, like no, of um, combined with it is also the thing that facilitates mm. your exploitation. That's so, right. So like yeah. the, I think the the left argument said wants to say, okay, racism is just a mist that is blown into your face. Yeah, yeah. Because it wants to say fundamentally there's a shared material basis of common interest and collective struggle. Yeah. Right. And is worried that if you say that there are ongoing historical material hierarchies, yeah. you um, you a priorily yeah. exclude the ability for collective struggle. That's Where right. I think... Instead of just making that a more messy and contested process. And, and, and also, and, and, yeah, and, uh, and I think... We're seeing play out, right? Like, yeah. you know, if 
like the, the, the American moment that's happening now with mm. kind of Black Lives Matter, whether mm. you want to talk about that specifically mm. um, as the specific organisational groups that use mm. that or the broader kind of popular revolt against police violence yep. uh, aimed at Afro-American people is actually the path yeah, yeah. to shared class autonomy, you know? Yeah, it's, no, it's actually yeah. the revolt against the specific yeah. form of racialised policing, yeah. which is the only way... Yeah that a broader class autonomy will realise no, itself. And that's, that's, that's absolutely right. And I think that's the, the absolute thing that's missed a lot from both the right and left discussions of like identity politics yeah. think, as well, which we don't want to get into yeah. at all. But I um, think, you know... So I, so I think that's, that's kind of yeah. like it's... So I do, like, I do think that um, like Hanson's victory, right, yeah. increased vote is yeah. emblematic of both... is both a product yeah. of the historical material... Yeah. racism that exists as part of the nature of Australian society yeah. and part of the size of the yeah. ethno-nationalist racist block. Yeah. I'm not sure what I think about that completely, especially the second part. But yeah. I think we can agree that it is very interesting and requires further analysis and definitely defence of any groups who are going to be on the receiving end of increased racist abuse yeah, yeah. if this does eventually. And they struggle. And I, I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to work out how these struggles play their, yeah, themselves definitely. out. You know, yeah. like, because it, it, like in... You know, in 1996, you know, yep. the Hansenism then was mm. certainly a 20th century project yep. where it tried to build mass, a mass political party. Yeah. I'm not sure if they're going to do that no, now, you know, this, that, I, I already or that they need to. I posted something about this on Facebook, you know, like people forget Marx's dictum on these kind of Bonapartist figures. Yeah. They occur first as tragedy and then as farce. And yeah. six, 1996 and 1998 were certainly tragedies. Yeah. Um, but the farce seems to have been going on yeah. for some time now. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure when the Pauline Hansen farce will, will yeah. end. But I think, like, a, a truism that comes yeah. from all... Like, in my kind of history on amongst the anti-capitalist left, yeah, all yeah. the different varieties have always explained right-wing politics as something that develops in a vacuum. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So far, none of them have been able to create a solution no, to build that vacuum. Right. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> so, and I, I, don't think, I don't think that's, aha, aren't they shit? But no. it actually is the correct identification of a problem that we don't have a solution to. No, definitely. So there was an article the other day that was headlined as, you know, um, Pauline Hanson voters see her as the new Mandela. Where <laughs> I did not see that. Yeah, one. Like, um, and like some of the surveys were where people were like, "Oh, I'm not so sure about her racism or whatever," um, but you know, she does represent the average Australian. Yeah, no, which that's I think, kind of what I was trying to say. Yeah, and I, but I, I guess like um, the, the critique made by someone like Ash Sarker in the yeah, English context yeah. oh, no, is totally, that yeah. the average Australian is always a, is always already. A racist. a racist figure, you know, like yeah, totally, yeah. always already a white figure. Yeah, or um, like a, someone like Danny Nala, the guy from yeah. Rise Up Australia, who is, you know, benefiting from the wages of whiteness. Yeah. yeah. Look, and we don't need to get into that. That's kind of messy territory. In the end, I think, Dave, we just need a dictator, as yeah. Jerry Harvey put it. Well, like this is this okay? I guess this is the the thing to, to finish on. Like Jerry Harvey did make the joke that we needed. Well, it's a good joke. I'm not even sure. I think he was putting his hand up. Who knows? Um, but this is actually, you know. This is the celebration of the bad government in New South Wales. Yes. You know, so, <laughs> like, not a, not a dictator. The but, soft totalitarian. Well, but, but, uh, but, but a liberal technocrat. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. So, yeah, someone yeah. who, like, because if you think about, like, what has happened, yeah. an entire tier yeah. of Australian liberal democracy yeah. was just pushed out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> this is local councils. Yeah. It's right. like, no, I'm abolishing them all, I'm amalgamating yeah. them all, yeah. and there will be elections sometime in the future. Yeah, and it's kind of a, a shockingly anti-democratic move. It's yeah. received very little coverage. Yeah, and, and so um, the, the Australian Financial Review organised a conference on infrastructure 
Right. Of course. And yeah, yeah. there was one article that came out of that in the post-conference edition yeah. the next day. Yeah. There was like, Baird the Hero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Got to love them. So that's really interesting, right? Yeah, like yeah. in terms of how things are in play. So Definitely. I guess like to summarise, yeah. um, you know, Tad wrote The Election That Changed Nothing. Nothing on Jacobin. We'll link to that. I think it's like... The election that changed nothing, but things got a bit worse. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think we're part of, as you said, there's like this kind of spiral of um, kind of stagnation that, yeah. that we're us slowly. It is a spiral. Yeah. We're not going in circles, we're going down. Yeah, we so going I, down. Look, let's finish there. Yep. I'm going to finish this by adding at the end yep. the track Useless Chatter by Immortal Mice Men, which you didn't allow me to conclude. I didn't. So I people want to stick around for another two minutes. You can listen to That's some beeping music. You're the worst. I am the worst. <laughs> anyway, you'll be listening to Living the Dream, the podcast of the QR group. John, what are you on Twitter again? At John Puccini. And I am at With Sober Senses. We have no one who ever no contacts one. us. No, <laughs> no. No, but we do know that some of you listen to us because we see the figures. We see the figures. So keep, so, keep listening. Um, and I'm, I'm not, we will we'll have more shows soon. We will. All, All right. right. Thanks for hey, listening. Thanks for listening.